Hi, everybody. AJ here to introduce our very special guest. Jen Yunin is the founder of The Pledgettes, a community of women who talk about money. Jen built The Pledgettes to democratize access to financial experts, build a supportive space for women to evolve their relationship with money and create connections so no woman is going after her personal finance goals alone. Jen and her husband have clear financial goals, which include a diverse portfolio of investment property, retirement accounts, and businesses all while living a minimalist but comfortable lifestyle, including traveling the country in an RV. This was such a fun episode. I cannot wait for you to listen. Let us know what you think. Uh, reach out to us on Instagram or our email at hello at beyondthegreencoaching.com or everybody's bad with money at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. We make money talk fun. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. And we have a very special guest today, um, Jen Yuen, the founder and creator of Pledge Ets. I did it. Uh, <laughs> oh my word. So I'm so, 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 so excited to talk to you. I feel like this has been like in the process for a very long time. So uh, say hi and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All good things take time, just like building wealth. So I'm good. I'm patient. Oh, baby. I love it. I am like already turned on. Um, okay. We always love to start our podcast uh, when we have a guest by talking about your money story. And I, we believe, and I'm sure you do too, based off everything that I've read about you, that your money beliefs stem from childhood. So the farther back you want to take us, we're, we're here for it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I feel very fortunate. I grew up in a family that openly talked about money. So my parents um, talked to my brothers, my sisters, and I all the same about money. Money is a tool. Um, you know, you get to make choices with your money. And so from an early age, I had this belief that money is choice. And I believe that if you have a dollar, you have the choice to save it, spend it, invest it, donate it. You have the choice of what to do with every single dollar, every single penny that you have. And that stems from my very first money memory. Mm. On my fifth birthday, my grandpa gave me a $5 bill. And at first I was super annoyed that he didn't give me a toy. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with a $5 bill, grandpa? But then my mom took me to the grocery store and I got to pick out a toy. And I bought a rainbow bright stamp for $2.34. Uh, it was the first time, like I made a choice with money. Like I looked at price tags of things and, and said, okay, well the Chia pets out of my budget, but you know, this rainbow bright stamp is my jam. Um, <laughs> totally. And then my mom took me to the bank afterwards to deposit the rest of the money. And then I got a sticker book and of course a dumb, dumb sucker at the bank and so it was like the gift that kept on giving for me. So at its core, I believe that money is choice. As you build wealth, money gives you freedom and flexibility. And at its highest levels, money is power and control. And we see that in the choices that are made at a societal level, at a political level. Um, and so that's why I'm on a mission to abolish the gender wealth gap, because I want healthier and wealthier communities. And we know that when women have more wealth, they reinvest in their communities. And that's how we're going to get there. Yeah. So let's go into like the in-between of like what was called like college. What did you study kind of life after college, that early 20s where we make all our lovely mistakes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I um, had my first summer job at age 14. I worked at the pool and that was then the first time I filed taxes and my dad's a CPA. So, you know, I went to the library and got the tax forms and remember like filling all of that out. Um, when I was 16, I wanted to buy a car and I found an awesome car that I wanted a Volkswagen Cabriolet for $1,600, but I only had 800 in savings. So I just asked my parents to give me $800 and they politely declined. Fine. Um, but they said that they would give me a loan for the $800. And so I had to do a PowerPoint presentation of why I um, was a good candidate for their loan and how I was going to pay them back. Wow. 
Yeah, it, it was pretty, fun. they definitely did a great job of teaching me good money lessons. And then, you know, I, in my early twenties, I, I received my dream job the summer between my junior and senior year. I interned at a record label, totally wanted it. I got hired at the end of the summer because I built, um, a database. And I kept telling my boss, like, Hey, I need to like teach you how to do this. He's like, I don't want to learn. We're just going to hire you instead. So that's how I got my first job, which was awesome. And then, you know, just a lot of great right time, right place conversations. But of course, you know, with wasn't without fails and F ups and mistakes. And so I remember, um, right out of college, you know, before you get your first paycheck, there's a lot of adulting you have to do. You have to like sign a lease and put a deposit down on an apartment and furnish said apartment and get more professional clothes and all of these expenses that start to hit like right away. And so as I was shopping for furniture, I bought a couch and a love seat and it was 0% interest for 90 days. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to break that up over three payments over the course of three months and, and pay it off. Well, the 90 days ended five days before my last credit card payment was due. And then they charged me like 20% interest on the entire purchase. Oh. They're so scummy. So scummy. And so, of course, I broke down crying, called yep. my mom. She, you know, we talked through it. She, she agreed it was total BS. Um, and then I called up the credit card company and negotiated with them to get those finance charges removed and made my last payment and have not made that mistake since. <laughs> wow. You're good. You let you, uh, you, it hits you once and then you're you're like, all right, I'm not doing that again. Not doing that again. No, no. I was like, hit me over and over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's other mistakes that I make on repeat. Like I, I hate invoicing. Like as a freelancer sending those invoices, yeah. like sometimes it's like the amount feels so big or, and then it's like, then I procrastinated and I didn't send it when I should. And then more time has passed. And then I'm like, oh, I should have like, can I go back in time? And now it's late. Nah, da, da. Uh, you know, I'm trying this last year, I turned over a new leaf and I'm like, last day of the month, I'm going to do invoices every day in the last day of the month. And I've, I've stuck to that. So hopefully I'm developing better invoicing habits, but man, that one's a long, that one is a slow one to learn. That's so fascinating. I'm like, hire somebody to do it. (laughs) That would be such a great solution, AJ. (laughs) I'm like, that's your money. That's my money. I know. That's so funny. Um, okay. So, so you get this dream job in, in a record company Mm -hmm. and then you, when you meet your husband at some point, so when does that happen? And then when do you start, when do you get into personal finance? Um, I guess let's just start with the husband meeting and the record label company or the record company. Yeah. So all throughout my twenties, I was a full-time employee. I, um, shifted to different industries, worked at multiple agencies, had some really great learning lessons, specifically around negotiating and advocating for myself. I think, you know, if I could go back and tell 22, 25, 28 year olds, me something, it's like, you are in charge of your career, advocate for yourself, like ask for the raise, ask for the promotion, like do the research. I remember when I was working at the record label, This woman who was a few years older than me, she was starting a women in the music industry networking group and invited me to come to some events. And I was like, well, I don't have any value to add. And like, I just would rather like work hard at my job and get recognized for working really hard and they're going to take care of me. And it's just, you know, it's so crazy. It's like, they call it your career for a reason because it is yours. Like you're not going to stay with the same manager or the same company your entire career. 
So I wish I would have taken a more active role when I was a full-time employee, but, you know, I did all the things I should, which I love. I, um, bought my first condo a year out of college and bought a two bedroom condo and was renting out the second bedroom to my friend at the time, which I know is not a realistic thing for anyone to do these days. Cause this is how, yeah, how did well. you, how did you afford that right out of college? Well, I started working at age 14. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so, you started saving at age 14, I think is the better. I certainly did not. Yeah. yeah. I started saving at age five when my grandpa gave me that $5 bill. <laughs> Talk about compound interest. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Damn. Damn. So it was a lot of savings. And I was also in a place where I had enough money for the down payment, but I didn't have enough of a buffer to qualify for the loan. So my parents did give me a $10,000 gift, which I gifted back to them after I closed just so I could get the clear to close on that first property. Um, and it, I mean, it was stressful signing a bunch of those documents. And in 2004 is when I bought my first condo, um, in Chicago, I had to sign so many pieces of paper. And one of them was as a single woman, my title was, um, spinstress. That's what they call single women. And I was like, I don't care. Call me anything you want. I'm a property owner. Oh my God. What a nightmare. It has changed, (laughs) but it's just, it, it just shows you how dated building wealth is for women. Yeah. hundred percent. Did you, um, did at that moment, did you even think that that was a weird thing that it said, or was it just like, ah, that's just what it is. I'm a spinster. I mean, I definitely didn't appreciate it, but at the same time, I wanted to own property. So if you want to like name call me, (laughs) but let me be a property owner, go ahead, call me anything you want, but give me that deed. (laughs) Um, And then I also like in the should, what you should do is like, I always got the company match of a 401k everywhere I worked. Um, the first financial advisor that came at the first company I worked at had a table of compound interest. And I remember like looking at one of my 50 year old coworkers and being like, Oh my gosh, you're so screwed. And I'm so lucky. Like, look at all these numbers. Um, not even thinking that of course he's been probably contributing to retirement accounts for 30 years, but that didn't matter to 22 year old me. Um, and then And then I met my husband when I was in my early thirties and, um, I decided to go from full-time to freelance. And this kind of was a big transition at the time. I moved from Chicago to Denver. My first date out here was with my now husband. I was working for a company based in Chicago. I was flying back every week, but living in Denver. And then I transitioned with that company from full-time to freelance And then, um, you know, through kind of my own learning about building wealth and personal finance and my husband's perspective, you know, marrying an entrepreneurial man, we just, we had these awesome conversations about money and the ways that we want to build wealth and the ways we want to use money in our lives. And so it kind of has really grown since then. We own a couple real estate investment properties. We both do freelancing and consulting. We own a restaurant. We contribute to our retirement accounts. Um, there's always a sense of curiosity of, of what, what's out there that we don't know about that we should be learning about. And then also, how do we want money to play a role in our lives? And how do we want to use our money? And how do we want to leave our legacy here? And it just, it goes all the way back to five-year-old me that money is choice. And we get to determine these choices of how we want to build wealth. We can't, we can't build wealth in the same way that our parents did. Heck, I don't think people can build wealth in the way that I started to in my early twenties anymore. So, you know, it's rapidly changing. We have to keep learning and, and find ways that money can show up in ways that align with our values and our goals. What was, what was the choice like to own a restaurant? Like, how did you decide to do that? And what were, what were your reasons? 
Great question. <laughs> Free food. What are you doing? Free food. No, I we're mean, still paying fair. for all the food. <laughs> Discounted food. <laughs> um, so that one was, that's a great question because this was, uh, this is part of being in a partnership with your spouse. Um, I I came from a family where like my dad would always say, invest in real estate as early as you can, which I did. And so I saw that as my main avenue for building wealth. And my husband had owned a, owned a business before. He um, has always worked in restaurant accounting and finance. He went to culinary school. So, you know, we had one piece of real estate at the time and, uh, we were looking for ways to continue to build wealth. And we looked at buying different businesses and we actually looked at a business that was more a service-based business. It was more aligned to my skills and experience. And that didn't work out as we were looking at the numbers, they were wrong. Um, and then, <laughs> then we came across a restaurant that was in our budget. The numbers worked. It really excited my husband and, so we took that leap and I had never worked in restaurants before owning a restaurant. I always respected people who worked in the restaurant, but then of course, like actually owning a restaurant and working in it is a whole new level of empathy, understanding and compassion for people um, in all different fields. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's like um, a hospital because it's, it, in a normal nine to five, you don't interact with so many different people who have such different jobs on a daily basis. But in a restaurant, you're with the cook, you're with the busser, you're with the porter, you're with the waitress, you're with the manager, the bartender, and like everybody has such different unique roles and it's like a dance. And yeah, it's, it's really, I worked in restaurants for 10 years. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot to it. I think restaurant people are a special special kind of person and they hold such a special spot in my heart of just you know they love food at a level that I don't know if I'll ever get to (laughs) I enjoy food I'm a terrible cook um (laughs) we get hello fresh box because that's that's the only thing that my husband will eat that I cook is if I follow step-by-step directions from hello fresh (laughs) that's so funny um so when you and your husband got together, like w- was money on the table immediately? Like, let's talk about money. Let's combine money. Like, how did that look for you guys? Yeah, I think the, at first it was, um, when it first came up was when we were getting ready to move in together, signing a legal document together. It was kind of like, well, you show me yours. I'll show you mine. Yep. Let's, let's <laughs> put this on the table and we're going to sign a year long lease together. Um, and so it was interesting. Uh, my husband had just, um, gone through a divorce and, you know, I was, I went through my twenties doing everything I should do. And so I think when I probably like when I was in my late twenties and even early thirties, you know, it's kind of at this point of like, I'm happy if I find a spouse, I'm happy if I'm solo, but regardless, I'm going to build wealth in a way that feels good to me. I'm going to take an active role in my finances. And so then I just envisioned this way of like, I'm going to meet this person and we're going to do like a percentage of our money is going to become shared and a percentage is going to be our own. And, you know, we're going to have these different choices. And, and then when I met my husband, we were in two different financial situations because he was coming out of a divorce and I was, you know, building wealth by owning real estate so early and all of this stuff. And, um, at first the conversations were hard. I mean, I, I didn't want to share and, and I, you know, I had like kind of had my own plan and this is what I was doing. And like, why would I share with you? I barely know you. but I also want to marry you and spend a life together. So let's just keep talking about it. So, you know, we had a lot of um, money conversations and, and what we quickly realized 
pretty early on in talking about money is that we weren't actually talking about money. We were talking about trust. We were talking about partnership. We were talking about aligning our goals. And it wasn't, it wasn't at all about the dollars in anyone's account. And so I think when we kind of made that shift of how do we create shared goals together? How do we support each other in our individual goals? It was much easier to have money conversations because there wasn't judgment on what we had done before in our past or you know, what our current goals were like, or, you know, what we spent last week. And so we were able to kind of dig down into what's really important to us. And then how do we use money to succeed in what's really important to us? So one of my friends is a financial therapist, which of course there are financial therapists out there. There's therapy for everything. Um, and one exercise she loves to do is if someone comes to her and says, I'll never have enough money, she'll ask them to say the same sentence, but replace the word money. And that's when you can kind of say like, I'm never gonna have enough security. I'm never gonna have enough, you know, wherewithal to have a, a guaranteed roof over my head or a job or whatever it is. Like, is it security? Is it trust? Is it, you know, what is really at the heart of our, stress around money or our scarcity mindset about money. Um, and so that was really helpful. And then my husband and I now have been together for over five years and now we have state of our union meetings and it's a, <laughs> so cute. I love that. It's so much fun. So it's on our shared calendar. Both of us can add things to the agenda, but we basically go through like, where's all the money? How are we spending our time? Does it align to our goals and values? And then we can kind of like make any big money moves that we need to make. If like we need to move money from one account to another, or should we focus on paying down this debt or saving for something else? Like, or are you really happy with that client or, or is it time to say no? Like, yeah, you know, money doesn't drive all of our decisions if we really try to keep all the conversations around our values and our long-term goals. I love that. Um, I'm going to go on a different tangent really quickly. What do you consult clients on? <laughs> <laughs> so my last full-time job was at a production agency that did large-scale corporate events and communication strategy. So a lot of like leadership, personal branding stuff, and strategy kind of programming, connecting. Connecting, that whole thing. Yeah. And so I think that's, so that makes perfect sense. Okay, why and how you were able to start your your baby, which is the, pledge, the pledgeettes. Yeah. So I'd love to hear about how that that came to be, the creation of pledgeettes. Yeah, so um, two years ago, we were deep in the restaurant work um, in building up some real estate that we had and doing our freelancing stuff. And we had a state of our union. And I was like, I, I can't spend time in the restaurant. I don't feel like it's a good use of my time. It doesn't light me up the way it lights you up. I gotta get out of the restaurant. And I'm like, I'm good for high fives and like casual emergency visits of like, okay, it's super crazy Friday night. I'm going to come in and do dishes for you guys. <laughs> like, I love being like, I love coming in and helping um, and supporting them in that way. And so we worked over the next couple months to get me out of the restaurant. And I was able to have some white space to really sit down and figure out like, what is my purpose? How can I use my skills, my experience and my network to make a difference on something? And it was at that time that um, there was a lot of talk around the gender income gap or the pay gap. So men make more money than women. Um, and that led me down the route hole of the gender wealth gap. So male version of you will have three times as much wealth at retirement age because men make more money, take fewer breaks in their career and invest earlier and more often. 
And so that was a problem that started a spark in my belly, which quickly turned into a huge fire. (laughs) And that was something I wanted to work on. And so I asked myself with my skills, my network and my experience, what can I do to abolish the gender wealth gap? And AJ, like you asked, like, what was the work that you were doing? I was doing events and communications. And so I created this community, connecting people. Um, I knew people in the personal finance space who I openly had awesome money conversations with. I knew there were women that wanted to be invited into these conversations. So I created the Pledgeettes in a way that we could do personal finance in community. We could learn together, we could celebrate each other, we could share experiences, we could ask questions in this space that was full of trust and credibility. And uh, it's been awesome. So a year and a half later, we're, we're still kicking it, we're still learning, we're growing, and we have this curiosity that every week we bring in a different expert to talk about their favorite money topics. And it is awesome. That's so fun. Who have been some of your favorite guests? I, I'm sure they all are your favorite guests if they were listening, but what are some standout guests that you had? You know, when I launched, I thought that we would talk mostly about the financial side of money. Like, you know, how is a credit score calculated? Should I use a robo-advisor or a human certified financial planner? And some of our most meaningful events have been the emotional side of money. So understanding how your values align with your money has been one of my favorites. Um, We have, we've, we've gone really woo of the woo of money in your business, the astrology of money, understanding your sacred money archetype upcoming in May, we have um, money in the feminine journey, and we're actually going to write a letter to money. And so it's super fun that, you know, money shows up in so many different ways. And we get to like run the gamut of the emotional side of money to the financial side of money. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did one on, on tax tips. And that was very like fiscal head in the ground, like organize your money. Um, we've also done a lot on impact investing, Oh, banking. I did not know that I would get so excited about banking, but Sophia Wagner, the co-founder of Mighty Deposits came and talked to us about community banks versus global banks. And that was another one where it really lit a fire in me so much so that I moved my accounts from a global bank to a community bank. So fascinating. Can we talk about that for a second? Cause I just recently learned about that too. And, um, I, I, I don't think we've spoken to about it on the podcast and it's really, really interesting um, about how much a smaller local bank, it benefits the whole community, um, but you might know a little bit more than I do. Yeah, so as Sophia shared for Mighty Deposits, um, your deposits are the fuel that determine which people, projects, and industries get funded. So... Um, you know, all of these banks initially started as, as teeny tiny local banks. And it is so cool to see how the black community used banks initially to build wealth because, you know, they weren't included. And now there's women owned banks that service women, you know, like there are all these really values driven community banks that are serving different niches. And so in the nineties, there was a lot of um, deregulation of the big banking industry. And so there was a ton of consolidation and acquisitions of all these banks. So, you know, back when I was five, depositing my grandpa's birthday money, I was with a local bank, Gary Wheaton Bank in Wheaton, Illinois. (laughs) And then it became first Chicago Bank. And then it became something else. And then eventually it became Chase. And um, so you know, so many of us are at global banks just because from where we started, it became a global bank. Um, and global banks have their place. There's convenience, there's technology, they offer a lot of products. So there's a place for global banks, but 
If you want to make some money moves that are really values aligned, look at community banks because global banks will reinvest your money in the stock market, in you know, oil and gas, in some stuff that doesn't align with my values, while community banks will use your money for public work projects, having, you know, getting new sidewalks and roads, um, funding housing. So producing loans, um, small business loans. If you're a small business owner, community banks are, are there for you and are supporting you in ways that global banks maybe aren't or can't. Um, you know, so there's all these different ways of, of community banks, but also then with community banks, you kind of say, well, you know, if I'm a world traveler, can I easily get money out of an ATM? Maybe not as much. Their tech isn't as good. Right. It's just not, hopefully it's going to keep getting better, but um, you know, there's, so there's different reasons for choosing where you bank. And so you have to make the right choice for you. But um, as somebody with an SBA loan, as somebody with multiple mortgages, um, I really value having my deposit sitting in a bank. That's a community bank. Yeah. I love it. Um really cool topic. I think that I definitely want to get more information to our audiences because it's, it's a, yeah, it'd be awesome to know that like, oh, me being at a small bank allows for that um, minority owned business to have a, a loan, you know, yeah. community. Um, something that you just um, triggered for me is um, you have debt, yet you don't have a debt mindset. Um, can we talk about that? Because one of the I don't know, top first five things that I work on with a client is like debt is not bad. It's your relationship yeah. to debt that's bad. And there's certain debt that is bad because you didn't have a budget. And, but like changing that narrative, like I, I give the example of Trump, which I know can be quite triggering, but Trump is in millions of dollars worth of debt and doesn't have a debt mindset. Um, and it doesn't keep him up at night that he's in millions of dollars worth of debt. I don't think, I, I don't know, he hasn't told me. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, talk to me a little bit about your debt and your relationship to debt and yeah. Okay, so I want a better example than Trump because also right. like, you know, he, he is probably uh, over leveraged because he lied to, presumably lied to get a lot of the debt that he has. Mm. So, you know, there is, if you follow Dave Ramsey, he has a one size fits all financial health plan and it is get rid of debt at all cost. And he pe makes people feel shameful about that. And I'm not about the one size fits all. Neither are we. Boo Dave Ramsey. <laughs> so I think like you really have to think about, um, both the emotional and financial side of any money move that you make. So if debt completely stresses you out, maybe having a debt-free strategy might be right for you. It's an option. But what I like to say is, you know, there's so many people that say like, it's not how much you earn, but how much you keep. And I don't agree with that either. Mm -hmm. I think it's how you use the money that you have. Yep. And so for me, it's all about leveraging, using, having intention with, with your money um, because for debt for me has been very beneficial. Now, as I mentioned, I think in the, in the beginning, like my credit card story debt of like having to pay this interest, well, being charged this interest, I didn't pay it, I negotiated it. Um, but I think if you, you know, if, listen on this podcast that it's about using your money intentionally and debt can be a tool for you to build wealth. Yeah. It also can be a tool for you to lose money and to lose your net worth and to lose wealth. And so I think with any decision that you make, make sure that you're just doing it with intentionality. You know, the um, we're not going to be able to save our way to retirement. So you can't just keep a huge pile of money in a 0.01% interest savings account at a global bank and be able to retire on that. So you are gonna have to take some risk. And so you're gonna have to evaluate the risk that you wanna take and invest in different ways um, to build wealth. And so for me, my husband and I talk often around invest in what you understand. 
So I understand real estate. I understand that I am taking on debt and I'm going to have to pay my mortgage, my taxes, potential utilities based on how I set up leases. Um, you know, I understand the liability that I'm going into. I also understand that it's an appreciating asset. So every year, well, over time, I shouldn't say every year because that's too short of a period, but over time, real estate increases in value. So I'm, I'm investing in an appreciating asset. Depreciating assets are like cars, something that loses value over time. Um, and, and then I also understand the numbers of if I rent this out, do the numbers work where I can make more money if I rent it out and then pay all my expenses? Is there a profit there? So that's really worked for me in real estate. I think, you know, but you have to just keep learning about it, understanding more and more about it. I think we have a property that we do a furnished rental on and um, that's different numbers, that's different risk, that's a different business model. So you just have to keep, you know, tweaking your investments and figure out the best ones that work for you. Um, what I got really scared about a few years ago is that the Denver real estate market where I live is really hot. And so some people were, you know, trying to sell investment properties using short-term rental Airbnb numbers, which are higher than a long-term rental. Right. And I made the choice to not invest in properties based on short-term rental numbers because at any time the laws can change and you know, the hotel lobbyists can make stricter laws where you might not be able to have a short-term rental. And so do the numbers still work if you then have to make that property a long-term rental? So I think there's just a lot of considerations. There's a lot of risk to think about, but don't be scared of debt. Understand how you're leveraging it and how you're using it um, because it's a, it's a great tool to build wealth in a many, many different ways, whether it's owning a business or going back to school potentially, um, if there's a plan for how that's going to get paid back and how you're gonna increase your wealth through that or, or real estate or fine art or go on and on and on about all the different ways we can build wealth. Yeah, it just sounds like ultimately you, it, how do you respond to somebody who's like, I don't want to do that much research. I wanna earn wealth, but I don't wanna have to think about it. Yeah. I would say, you know, the myth of passive income, like I love, you know, like so many people are like, I'm just going to set up all these passive income streams. And I, the most passive income stream I've been able to find is by investing in stocks that offer dividends. And so you're not going to see as big of a return on an investment that you're going to put more of your resources, time, money into. So owning a restaurant for us, a lot of time, a lot of upfront resources of money for us. Um, but that has been one of our greater sources of wealth over the last few years. And so I think, you know, you have to build the best plan for you, but you're going to have to take risk on it. And whether that is your time or your money are the two resources that you kind of can play with as to, to how you're going to build wealth. But there are options for people who want to like set it and forget it. There's a lot of different funds out there, but um, I, my heart started racing the other day on Facebook. Someone posted like, I just want to hire a financial advisor, give them all my money and not think about it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> take an active role in your finances. Like to me, that's, that's not a, I don't want to learn about money. That's a money stresses me out or I'm scared of money. That's a mindset issue yeah. where if you hire the right people who are having positive, healthy money conversations with you, and you get to see the choices that you have in front of you and you get to confidently make choices. Oh, that's so much more fun than just handing your money over to someone and saying, see you in 30 years. I know. I work with a lot of clients who um, have a lot of money that they, they were given um, and they want nothing to do with it. And I am like, 
now you're going to face it and we're going to make decisions off of it. And we're going, you're going to look at it and you're going to decide what you want to do with that money. You don't just get to let that money sit there. Even I'm like, no, you got to face it. Yeah. You have to face it. And just, you have to figure out how to face it in a way that feels good. I want people to feel good about making money and feel good in how they use their money. I love it. I love it. Um, if you were to, to describe your relationship with money in one word, what would it be? Choice. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Perfect word. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so in your, in, um, the pledgets, um, they get, uh, they get these weekly experts. Is there anything else that they get par- as part of the community? Yeah. So included in membership is our weekly webinars with experts. We have member meetups and chapter chats, um, which are opportunities for people just to connect. Everything's virtual right now. We'll slowly move back to some in-person stuff in Denver, Chicago, Portland, and beyond. Um, but you're going to get a supportive group of women who are ready to celebrate you, who are ready to share their experiences and ask questions. Um, these are going to be the most fun money conversations that you've had in your entire life. And the women who are members of the Pledgeettes are all working on different stuff. They're at all different stages in their personal financial journey, but they're all committed to taking a more active role in their finances. And One of our members last year said, I love that this group celebrates everyone's progress with the same enthusiasm. So whether someone has enough money in their emergency fund for a vet bill or is launching a different revenue stream in their business, the high fives are plentiful, the cheers are so loud, and it is so much fun. That's so fun. What's advice you would give to a new investor? I would remind them that nobody is born with financial literacy. Anybody who has it learned it. They set the intention, they set a goal, and they took an active role into learning about it. So know that you can learn just as much as anybody else who has, who has it. Um, And that you should just surround yourself with your financial A team. Yep. So only work with people who who are willing to answer your questions in a positive, straightforward method. Find people who will nudge you a little out of your comfort zone without any guilt or shame. Um, find people that offer diverse perspectives that are building wealth in different ways. I love having diverse thinkers in my financial aid team because I have not invested in cryptocurrency yet because I don't really understand it. Um, but I love having conversations with people who do because I learn from them. I learn how they evaluate risk. I learn why they're doing it. I learn how they're doing it. I learn what they're actually doing. Um, And I'm not ready to invest in crypto yet, but I love learning more so that that is yet another option for me to build wealth in the future. Yeah. I could not agree more with, if you call them the the A team. Yeah. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I, 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 I talk about that all the time with, with my clients about like, I'm not the only resource. Like you need to go get a CPA, like go find somebody who's in it. Just have them on your speed dial. I, I'm like on your Rolodex, like, you know, find a financial advisor just so you can poke questions to like, just start talking. I was like anybody in your community who you really respect, like who you admire, start talking to them about money. Like start talking to them about how did they get there? Like, how were they able to afford three houses under the age of 50? Like, what were they doing? And I'm um, getting curious and yeah, just building that a team. I, oh, I love that. That's such a great way of saying it. Yeah. So in the show notes, um, we'll add a link to get I have a worksheet on building your financial aid team and the five types of people that you should have on that team. I love that. That's so I cool. love that. Yep. We're adding that in, right in there. Adding that in. <laughs> um, it has been so, so amazing talking to you. I could talk to you forever. Um, we always like to end our podcast. Uh, well, one with you promoting yourself. Um, so we'll start there. So one promote, promote yourself away. How can people find you? How can people sign up and become a member? Tell us everything. 
Yeah. So um, the secret page where you can find that financial worksheet is thepledgeats.com backslash keep it going. And so find me at thepledgeats.com. I'm on all the socials at thepledgeats. Um, you know, know that every individual action and every individual money move you make has an impact on, has a collective impact against abolishing the gender wealth gap. So you are not only negotiating your raise for you, but everyone who's coming behind you. You're not only investing in real estate for you, but for everyone else to see it as an option. So keep having those money conversations. Um, find me, have a money conversation with me. I love having one-on-one -on -one money conversations about so many of the stuff that we talked about here from first money memories to what you would do if you'd won the lottery. Um, come attend at a Pledge Ads event. If you want a, a little test run or to try us out, just reach out um, because we all need to take a more active role in your finances. You are ready for this. You can do this. Um, I want to be part of your financial aid team. I love it. Oh my God. I love it so much. It's so true. Like I, I say like, yes, you have, you have to advocate for your pricing because you're setting the standard that, you know, I watched the yoga industry fail because everybody offered it for free. And then they were like, why would I pay $27 for a class when I can go do yoga with Adrian online for free? And I'm like, don't let that happen in this community. Like we have to be the the champions of that. So I'm love. I mean, everything you said was great, but I I really wanted to highlight that point. Um, yeah, I love it. You're doing it for the teachers before you and and under you. Yes, behind you, wholeheartedly. Um, so okay, and then we love to um, ask, what are three things that you're grateful for? Oh man, I'm grateful that I grew up in a family that openly talked about money. I'm grateful that I married an entrepreneurial man who thinks about money in non-traditional ways. And I'm grateful that my dog requires me to walk outside twice a day and breathe fresh air. It's all about the people in life, not the things. Yeah. What kind of dog do you have? She is a New Mexican street dog from an Indian reservation in New Mexico. She looks like a mini Aussie, but her uh, doggy DNA test said Pomeranian bloodhound cocker spaniel. Wow. Wow. What I a want, mix. I want, I want to see what she looks like. <laughs> She's from a long lineage of mutts. Oh. Come. <laughs> That's a good girl. Bessie, I like that name. Do I see a hundred dollar bill in the end? Oh my gosh. So oh, she's a cute one. Oh, wow. I love her so much. She's so great. <laughs> um, yeah. Great so for all the dogs. I, yeah, I have a um, fake hundred dollar bill that talks about the sister economy mm. and building a new, a new economy that works for women. Um, and then this is a Harriet Tubman $20 bill. Hell um, yeah. Wow. That um, Andy and Aaron, it's a women's necktie company, sent me. Love oh. that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay. Gotta have cool stuff in your background. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Um, AJ, what are three things that you're grateful for? Um, I am, the first one is, the unconditional love and support I get from my fiance. He just like, I can show up good. I can show up bad. He just loves me regardless. Um, I'm really grateful for my dog Luna and that I get to care for this thing outside of myself and getting to watch her improve like every single day is so rewarding. Um, and I'm really grateful for the tools that I have in my life that enable me to get out of funks, like, and, and those, those little hacks that I have to kind of get me out of my own way. So I can continue on my life's mission to, you know, get people feeling financially free and secure in their lives. No big deal. Um, <laughs> what are you grateful for my dear Amelie? I am grateful for sleep. Um, I noticed such a huge difference in 
me as a person when I get enough sleep. Um, I'm grateful for a healthy body and my health and that my body, I'm able to walk and run and just be in an, in an able body. And I'm grateful for so many things. Um, I'm grateful for COVID vaccines. I just signed up for mine and I could not be more excited. And I am just so in awe that we as a world have come together to create something that stops a global pandemic. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Wow. I was like, when was the last time we spoke about the pandemic on this podcast? So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Yay. Gay vaccines. Um, yeah. Jen, it was so, so awesome having you on the so podcast. So awesome talking to you. Yes. So Thank fun. you. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. I know you all enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> this podcast was um, sponsored by Beyond the Green Coaching. You can find us at beyondthegreencoaching.com on Instagram at Beyond the Green Coaching. Listen to our podcast, which you're already listening to, and uh, and reach out to us at hello at beyondthegreencoaching.com to learn more about what we offer. Thank Yay. you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.